series in the Gospel of John, Good News for a Change. We're in chapter 9 today. We're talking about vision. And if you came with a smartphone or a Bible, please open it up and start getting ahead to John 9. Just Google John 9. If you have a translation um, reading selection, go to the NIV. That's what will be in. It'll be easier for you to follow. We're going to talk about vision this morning. I'm really here, actually, to tell you that I found my Fitbit. Does anybody, raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, if you don't have your hand raised, that means you either don't get our newsletter or you don't read it. Because that was the little, I don't know, column this week in the newsletter is that I lost my Fitbit. I know it's not a big deal. But Grant and I, my youngest, who is awesome, amazing, we actually cleaned the garage. He looks awesome. Yes, we did. Seriously, Swept the I corners and everything. I like crying. organized the I'm cubbies. Like, but my point is, well, I'll tell you that in just a minute. But we cleaned the cubbies, and I was taking off the filter from the house back, and it was filthy. And I thought to myself, have we ever cleaned this thing since we lived here? Um, and it was so nasty that I didn't want to ruin my Fitbit, so I set it down somewhere. And then, of course, I couldn't find it. I'm like, I know it's here somewhere. And I know it's somewhere in plain sight, but I couldn't find it. And I did eventually find it on top of the dryer. Plain, it wasn't even under laundry or anything. But I'm like, there it is. I knew it would show up. And we're talking about blindness today. And on a side note... If you sometimes feel like you're out of the loop, like you don't know the story, maybe you don't get our newsletter. If you take one of those connect cards and put your email address on it, and uh, you can throw it in the basket uh, offering, you can get our newsletter and just how to know what's coming up. Uh, If you don't remember a date, you can go back and look at the newsletter. But we're here today. We're going to talk about blindness. We're going to talk about seeing we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. Great. And the Gospel of John is full of what the other Gospels are, and that is miracles. There are a lot of different miracles. In the case of chapter 9, it's a man born blind uh, who, whose, whose sight is entirely restored by Jesus in a unique way. But miracles in Jesus' ministry had about four purposes. The first is to end suffering. Jesus would end the suffering of an individual to explain the truth, to expose hypocrisy, which you'll see a little bit today, and to establish his authority over the laws of physics, his authority over creation, his authority over the human body, all designed to um, help us answer the question, who is Jesus? And John says, Jesus is God. You've got to come to that conclusion. He's God who suffered a substitutionary death for our sins on the cross and resurrected from the dead and gives us hope in this life and in the life to come for the life that is truly life, life indeed. In 1959, it's, there was a unique thing that happened for those that could see. In 1959, in several New York City high-rises, the city was greatly affected by a heat wave that actually turned all the power off, including the air conditioner, And evacuation was very, very difficult, except for one high-rise. One high-rise in New York City employed 200 Jewish guild of the blind, 
200 employees that were blind. And when they started evacuating the building and all the other employees couldn't see where the elevator was or even use the stairwell because it was so dark, there were 70 employees who were not blind that were guided by the blind. The blind had no problem leaving the building because that's what they did every day. And there were 70 employees that followed their lead in this high rise and actually made their way out of the building onto Broadway with absolutely no problem. What we had here in this high rise was the blind leading those who could actually see. And that's going to be our experience a little bit today. We're going to, we're going to watch and read a narrative of someone re- receiving their sight back, and we're going to learn uh, whether or not we have blind spots and how to move towards 2020 vision, not physically, but spiritually. And we are going to read the whole text today. It's rather long, but it's a narrative. It's a great story. So we're going to read it. I'm going to read it. So you can either just listen. Some of my kids don't like to... I'm an English teacher. I'm sorry. So I hope as I read, it sounds like I'm an English teacher. So I'm reading from John chapter 9. Jesus heals a man born blind. This is the NIV. So if you have a different translation you're looking at, it might be a little confusing. It might have some different word choices. So as he, that's Jesus, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world." After saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging ask, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him, I don't know, he said. day on which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, 
they said, we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He replied, whether he, Jesus, is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are the disciple, the disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. Is this, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So the question is, are we blind too? And I think this Pella window commercial captures the blindness we can all experience. These are my new windows. They're stunning. But look at this. The shades are in the windows? Yeah, so they don't get dirty or damaged. And they work like regular shades? No. Even better, they're cordless. Look at that. Oh, it's so easy to change the shades, too. Oh, my gosh, look at that. Do it again. The new designer series, Windows and Doors. Only nice from Pella. Eventually, you look through them. The Design Your Own sale is going on now. Call today for more information. Oh, I love that commercial. What blinds us? So we're going to identify three kind of intrusionary um, blind spots you can experience. And we want you to try to figure out maybe which one you're vulnerable to. The first is this. Like the disciples, we can be blinded by misplaced focus. The disciples had a, had a line of questions related to theology. What's the origin of this man's blindness? They say, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And the problem with that kind of question is that it, it, it is removed of any empathy. It's all theological, and it doesn't take into consideration the person who's suffering, the person who needs empathy and compassion. And what Jesus is trying to teach him is it's, it's, it's about this boy. This boy is somebody's son. This, this girl that maybe you would see that needs compassion is someone's daughter. When I see people that are suffering, it often helps me to remember, hey, you know what? This is someone's son. This is someone's daughter. Somebody out there is disconnected to their kid. Their kid is, is suffering. And the result of being all theological about problems that you see people have is apathy. If, or, you know, that person's got, I'm more interested in helping people who, who are willing to help themselves. Or, you know, that person's got to figure out that they're in this situation because of their bad decisions. You know, kind of that 
attitude. Sorry to point at you. But it can lead to, you know what? They're on their own. I'm, I'm not going to show empathy. I'm not going to show up and give them the kind of compassion that Christ would have me give. The first, the first point of blindness is that we, are, we have a misplaced focus. Jesus wants our focus to be on people that they matter, not on our theology or doctrine or our rule following. Like the parents, we also can be blinded by misplaced fear. Now, I'm pretty empathetic with these parents. They've been raising this boy, and they're not able to provide for him financially. They, he has to beg to survive in the city of Jerusalem. And yet, his parents were very startled by the threat from the religious leaders that if anyone in Jerusalem were to agree that Jesus was the Messiah, the chosen one, they would be kicked out of the synagogue. And for them, that meant being removed from their social network and even opportunities to buy goods. And so this was a real threat to their well-being, to their comfort, to their welfare. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders. I'm sensitive to that, but on the same note, there is a real tendency on our part to be afraid of those that are in authority instead of trusting in in Jesus. Don't you think we can be that way as it relates to our employer? We can be afraid of our employer or our supervisor or someone in authority, and it, it can be we don't want to be afraid of man. We instead want to show reverence to God. That kind of fear, when it's misplaced, can can be dangerous. Here's what the parents say. Um, The Jewish leaders had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. They didn't want to be kicked out. The result was anxiety. Anxiety because of a misplaced fear. Do you ever ever find yourself blinded because your fear is of someone that you're giving more authority than you actually should? It would have been ideal had these parents been been savvy enough to realize, you know what, if that guy healed our son of his blindness, he could take care of us as well. Okay? But that's a, that's, I'm not being too hard on him. That's a tough, in, in, in this moment, that would be a very tough thing to actually uh, do. So we can also, like the Pharisees in the story, we can be blinded by misplaced faithfulness. We know Uh, This is the blind man. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. The Pharisees had actually, all initially with good intentions, had become all about doing the right thing. Here's what we do. Here's what we don't do. And the trouble with this misplaced faithfulness is that they had started to trust in their own rules instead of the rule maker. And the trouble with that is it really does lead to arrogance. And I can speak sadly, (laughs) very authoritatively on this issue. Um, Having been raised in a more legalistic home, my dad was a pastor, but I was a willing participant. I, I really wanted to do the right thing, and I wanted to, and the little joke used to always be, a guy would say, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls who do. You know, that you, there were all of these things that you didn't do as a Christian in the South. But secretly, there were things you were doing, like being condescending, like being critical of other people, like not showing compassion. Those things you did on the inside. So on the outside, you might have looked like a Christian, but on the inside, you had this arrogance that, look, 
I have met all the criteria for this week. Aren't I that? And we were missing actually. (laughs) In fact, when he met me at college, I'm sure, wow. I don't even want to know what I was like, really. But we missed the, the other components, the more important components Jesus asked of us. The scripture says they'll know we're Christians by our love or that we should be, have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus who didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to but came a servant. That's how we are supposed to be living. And sometimes I wonder if you did, had known I was a Christian if you would have known I was a Christian because of the lack of love for people and the, and the arrogance and the lack of humility. And that sometimes, as Christians, especially if you're, you've been a Christian a long time, it's really easy for this to be the blindness that we experience, is the blindness because we have a misplaced faithfulness to this idea of righteous living instead of really having our faithfulness be on Christ and working to be like Christ. So uh, we can live in arrogance. And so what blinds us? Those are the questions that we've asked looking at some of these characters. We can be blinded by misplaced focus and live in apathy. And I hope you're trying to maybe pinpoint one of these for you. And I have to say, when I was doing that this week, scary. (laughs) I don't really want to know what I'm blind to because it can be very painful to have your eyes opened to the blindness that you might have spiritually. But I hope today that you're able to do that. So here are the potentials. We can be blinded by misplaced focus and we can live in apathy. We can be blinded by misplaced fear of people in authority, people what they think of us, and live in anxiety and that is no good. We can also be blinded by misplaced faithfulness and live in arrogance. And what we really want to be saying as people who are seeking spiritual sight, because this passage clearly, this man was healed of physical blindness, but ultimately he was cured of spiritual blindness. And that's our question today. How can we be cured of spiritual blindness? How can we have 20-20 vision? And we think that's by this prayer where we say, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, I want to see you. So the second half of this message is looking at ways that we can have 20-20 vision. Melissa, thanks for being so honest. I want to just do a gut check here. I, my place of misplaced... Uh, um, my my thing is misplaced fear on those are, are that are, who are in authority in the past. That's been an issue for me, and I'm grateful that it's not. It doesn't weigh me down. It's not that I don't care, but it it's not really, you know, too stressful for me. Well, and it comes back to that a verse at the beginning, like the first time I read the narrative, when Jesus says at the very beginning, "I'm the light of the world." First, you're like, okay, we weren't asking that. We ask who sinned, this man or his parents, and now you're saying you're the light of the world, Jesus. And it seems obvious after you read the whole passage that Jesus, as the light of the world, that is how we get true vision, is for the light of his life 
to be the reflection that we use to test everything that we do and everything that we see really is tested through Jesus as the light of the world. So now we ask the question, how do we get 2020 vision? Spiritually. Spiritually. So how do you increase your vision? So we're going to give you three steps, three or four, and one of these may resonate with you uh, as it relates to your getting better vision, better spiritual eyes. The first is this, see his glory in our problems. See his glory in our problems. As I read when I get to the red, would you join me? Let's start now together. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So years ago, I heard an amazing story uh, in 2005, and she was the age of 94. Madame Alicia Markova died, and she was, I said 94. But when she was born, Lillian, until she Mark, she was born like with no promise of greatness at all. She didn't speak until she was six. She had incredibly flat feet, knock kneed. Her parents took her to the doctor, and they were leaning towards leg irons, But the doctor said, let's put her in remedial ballet. And if that doesn't work, then we'll put her in leg irons. And uh, she went on to become the uh, prima ballerina assoluta at age 12. She was the most amazing ballerina in Great Britain. She's actually given all the credit for making ballet famous in the UK and in America And she started out as someone with this huge problem. And God used her problem and worked his power in her until she was great. I often wondered when she was, you know, getting ready at the theater, at the practice place, when she was getting her shoes out. I often wondered if she ever imagined that it was a big leg iron instead pull the leg iron on, and then note and look up and say, no, I'm putting on these beautiful satin shoes instead that if it didn't astound her to see what God had done in her weakness. And that passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul says, I was given, and, and Paul, even historians who are not Christians, give Paul credit for changing the world. And Paul writes, I was given this thorn in the flesh, and most scholars believe it was blindness. But I was given this thorn in the flesh, and I pleaded with God three times. And I know there are things that we pleaded for more than three times for God to take away. He said, I pleaded three times, God, please take this away from me. And God said, no, because my power is made perfect in your weakness. That even in our weakness, God can do something amazing. So how do we see his glory in our you see weakness? Change the way you see weakness. Paul said in that passage that Melissa referred to, he said that Jesus told him that uh, that my power is made perfect in your weakness and and also Paul said that Christ may rest on you. When you're weak, you're perhaps the strongest when you allow the Spirit of Christ to rest on you. 
If the Spirit of Christ is not resting on you, you may be feeling strong and it might be artificial strength to some degree. You're strongest when Christ's power is resting on you. I couldn't help but think about some of the Americans in the last century who I think God really exhibited a lot of power through. And I thought of Franklin Roosevelt, the president that led us through World War II and his fight against polio. Even, even to the point his ability to move into a fourth term was astounding. And I remember watching uh, some video and William Churchill saying perhaps Franklin Roosevelt was one of the greatest men that ever lived. His tenacity, his grit to go forward in weakness was a real inspiration for Americans. This is a touchy subject because God does not always choose to heal us. He doesn't always answer our prayers the way we would want him to answer our prayers. We go through seasons of hardship and loneliness uh, through medical, physical, and mental uh, diagnoses that are really challenging. But God gets glory when we continue to trust him and we continue to rely on his strength in our own weakness. Whether or not I'm healed, God can get glory in all of our problems and challenges. So the first way we can move towards spiritual sight is to see his glory in our problems. And the second way is to see my obedience as necessary. He replied, so this is the man explaining how he received his sight. The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash. So, so I, I went, went and, and, and washed. washed. Then, then I, I could, could see. see. And I wonder if he had not gone to the pool of Salome, do you think his sight would have been restored? If he would have said, well, that's, that's not going to work. That sometimes it's our obedience is the missing piece. I wonder how many times, you know, a wife says, oh, I wish God would work on my marriage. And then she proceeds to dog on her husband for the next 10 minutes. Or God, please get me out of debt. What's that, debit or credit? Oh, credit, please. <laughs> you know that we're missing the step of obedience that God needs us to take for him to work in our circumstance, that our obedience is necessary to see, to have spiritual sight. I can't tell you how many times obedience leads to more sight. Scott, would you answer the other question? Well, yeah. So how do we see our obedience as necessary? So this is, this is Henry Blackaby language. I think it really is biblical. It's this. Respond by doing whatever the Spirit is telling you to do. Do whatever he's asking to do next. So the only thing this man born blind knows is that I've got some awfully uncomfortable uh, liquid on my eyelids, and this guy told me to go wash. So what should he do? Go wash. You may be in a challenging situation, but the Spirit of Jesus is always trying to lead you uh, to obey, to willingly follow Christ. And so what we do is we do what's next. Whatever he wants us to do, we make an adjustment, and we're like, Lord, I'll do it. Just say the word, and I'll do what you're asking me to do. That kind of submission to Christ is what will totally uh, give you the 2020 vision that we all want to have. But what if I don't have any idea what that is? Good question. If you're like, okay, what she said, if you're like, I have no idea what God's leading me to do, we challenge adventurers to give Jesus 15 minutes every day and let him give you direction. 
while you take five minutes and listen to some positive Christian worship music on Pandora or wherever you find access. Take five minutes and just give thanks. Give thanks for the good things that are happening in your life. Give thanks that it's only 94 yesterday. Uh, Give thanks that you found a parking lot space. I mean, give thanks. And then take five minutes and open up the Bible. And be specific. Open up in the Gospel of John. We'll be in it this summer. Open it up and read a chapter. And as you're reading, let the Spirit speak to you. And when the Spirit's speaking to you, here's what you're going to know. He's always going to lead you in a way that sometimes takes more surrender, more self-denial. He's not necessarily going to tell you, yeah, you need to go, go, go finance that Porsche. He's, he's going to lead you in a way that's Christ-like. And you to do the best place to start is the word. This is how you know what Jesus wants you to do. It's like the world's greatest instruction manual. And I can't tell you how many times that I have chosen to obey, even in small ways, right? Like, for instance, I wanted to buy, recently I wanted to buy a plane ticket um, to go somewhere, but I had this event that I'd already said yes to. And of course, The real part of me is like, oh, just call and cancel. What difference does it make? But then I remember Scripture says you keep your word even to your own hurt. So it's like I I can't buy this plane ticket because this is my word. I said I would do this. And I didn't buy the plane ticket. And the way it all worked out, event got changed, got to do what I wanted to do. But it's the step of obedience to do what even might not logically seem right, but if Scripture says to do it, I promise you it's the right thing. You will never, ever, 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 ever be disappointed by doing what Scripture says, even if the worldly people around you think it's a bad idea. Always, that's how you know where the Spirit is leading, is by listening to the Spirit and and reading the Word, knowing what's in the Word. So, So how do we get 2020 vision? We see his glory in our problems. We see our obedience as necessary. And we see his search for us. This is a fascinating little piece of this narrative. See Jesus search for me. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. That is the blind man. And join me. When When he he found found him, him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? So Jesus went after this guy. I mean, they're in the city of Jerusalem. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. They're they're remembering their journey in in the wilderness And Jesus goes after this guy. He does the same thing for us. He takes steps to make certain we know we're loved. He takes steps to make certain we know he's present in our life. And sometimes circumstantially, he'll show up in ways that are surreal. How do I see his search for me? This is what we say. See how God is loving you every day. The psalmist says, give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. And it is fact. It is truth that God loves you. It is a fact. It's like just like the sky is blue. Jesus loves you. And so to look, to have your eyes open, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. I want to see how you're loving me today. And just let me give you a few examples from the Matthews family. And I apologize, Jack. I didn't get permission to share this. But here was a small way I thought God loved Jack this week. Jack works two jobs. He works very hard. He's also 21, and 21-year-olds are typically not planning out, you know, the month. And he had been, you know, he had jury duty coming up, right? And I warned him as much as a mother should warn a 21-year-old. And how Providence had it 
is that the one day he had off was the day he had to go to jury duty. That God had loved him in a small way by having his schedule free for him to go be at jury duty without, you know, he didn't have to call anybody and disappoint them. It's sometimes in going to Rayleigh's and your favorite laundry soap is on clearance or getting rid of it. So you can buy six of them for the price of two. Sometimes God loves you in the good parking space in the shade. Right? Oh, yes. Sometimes God loves you because you run your air conditioner. Or there's a breeze at night, but God loves you. Your job is to be, have your eyes opened to see how he's doing that because he is doing it. So that's another way we get 2020 vision is to see his search for me. And he is searching for you. If you're in this room and if you're breathing, God is searching for you. Loves you. He wants to get closer to you, wants a more uh, personal relationship with you, wants to be your uh, strength in your weakness. Um, wants to give you direction to know how to obey, to know what your next step is. You're, you're in good hands. And what we see here is, see Jesus to believe in and worship. The man said to him, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And to worship means in the first century to get down on a knee, to prostrate yourself before it's making yourself fully subject to whoever you're talking about. And that's what it means to be a Christian. It's to make yourself fully subject to the authority of Jesus Christ in your life. To make yourself fully subject. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never said, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. You paid the price my sins deserve. I, I'm here to worship you today, maybe for the first time. I acknowledge who you are. I'm willing to follow you and make you the leader of my life. Maybe that's where you're at today. And this idea of worship really is recognizing God's sovereignty in that whatever situation you're in, and sometimes the situations are of our own doing, to be honest, TBH, as my son would say. Sometimes they're completely out of our control, but we can recognize that our obedience matters And we can recognize that he's searching for us. And I want to tell you one more story about sin. The story is really God used uh, their weakness. And the story is in 1809, Simon Rene Braille and his wife, Monique, had a little boy named Lewis. I know you've heard the name Lewis Braille, but you might not know the whole story. Whenever he was just a toddler, um, his family's home was also a part of the family leather working shops, not to go into his dad's shop, but as little boys would do, especially before the days of a million child safety features. He went into his dad's shop and was messing around with the tools, and he picked up the awl, which is the little sharp instrument that you punch and make the belt holes when we get bigger and we have to make more holes in the belt. Um, he picked, found the awl, and of course, something happened. He's a three- or four-year-old boy, and he, he punctures his eye. He gets all. He's also a three-year-old boy, so, of course, he's scratching, he's rubbing. He gets it infected. He's scratching, and he rubs. Both eyes get infected. And before he is four years, um, the, I never remember the name, the Royal Institute for Blind Youth in Paris, he became a skilled organist 
But when he was 12 years old, he was asking the question, how can a blind person read? Up again, looking for. And so when he went home that summer, he's in his dad's shop again, looking for a way for the blind person to read. And he discovers the awl. The same instrument that had blinded him was the instrument that he used to create a system of writing. It was something he had actually seen night writing in the French military. And he took that and using the all that had blinded him, he created a system of writing where you can compose music, you can do math problems. People can read for 200 years now. People have been able to read because Louis Braille, even of his own doing, had problem. And he was able to let God use his problem to bring glory to himself. And so you might have a problem today. It might be one that it's all you. It might be a problem that has nothing to do with anything you've done. Yet God can take whatever that problem is. He can use it for his glory. He can give you spiritual sight to see how in this problem he can work for your good. That's the thing you have to keep reminding yourself. God works in all circumstances. For to those who love him and are called according to his purpose, he is working everything out for your good. He wants you to have spiritual sight to see how he's working and how he's loving you. And he is, as we come to the end of our service, the way he loves you, we can be blinded by these things, misplaced focus and have apathy. Are you a person that's living in apathy? Are you living in anxiety? Are you living in arrogance? Are you choosing not to see with spiritual eyes? Are you not seeing how God is loving you, that God is seeking after you? And we come to the part in our service right now where we're participating in communion. And if you're wondering if God loves you, He demonstrated it in while we were still sinners, Christ died on the cross for us. So that no matter what you've done, because I know that, especially when you have a sensitive conscience, so some of you, you do, and so you don't ever want to look at what you're blind to because it hurts too badly. But if you'll do that and you'll recognize that Jesus loved you so much that he died on the cross so all of that can be washed away, It doesn't make any sense, really, that we can live guilt-free because of Christ, but that's how much God loves you. And you might be here today, and you've never accepted the love of Christ. You're living in anxiety. You're living in apathy. You're living apart from God with a conscience that doesn't let you sleep at night. And today, you can bring all that to the cross. And you can say, Jesus, I know you love me. I believe that you died for me so that I can see how much you love me. So let's, if we can pray, and let's just ask God to open our eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Jesus who gave up heaven. That's how much he loved us to come to earth so that we could be forgiven because we all do things that are wrong. And we all want to be so close. And we need Jesus. So I pray first today, Father, that you would open the eyes of our heart so we can see you. And I especially pray, Father, if there's someone here today that has never accepted you as Savior, 
who's living with anxiety, they're living with guilt, I pray, Father, that you would help them believe on you for the first time today. Why don't you pray that prayer with me? If you're that person that's never believed on Jesus, pray this with me. Dear Father, thank you so much for loving me. Thank you so much for sending Christ as the perfect sacrifice so my sins could be forgiven. I believe in Jesus today. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time with Melissa, we want to tell you it's the most important decision you ever made. Uh, We want to celebrate with you with every eye closed and every head bowed. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time to to make Jesus the leader of your life and to believe that his death on that cross was for your sins so you could be forgiven, be given the Holy Spirit, his comforter, and the hope of life in this life and in the next. If you prayed that prayer with Melissa, we want to celebrate with you. Just raise your hand, slip your hand up, and let us celebrate. Anyone? Yes, great. I see your hands. Anybody else for the first time? I see your hand in the back, ma'am. Anyone else say yes to Christ? Yes, sir, I saw your hand. Anyone else just want to join the group that said yes to Christ today for the first time? Slip your hand up. We'll celebrate with you. Heavenly Father, please pour now. We trust you to pour your spirit of peace and joy and comfort and Christ's character into the hearts of those who said yes to Christ. And we just ask that you would now give them 2020 vision. Give them a vision to see you work through their problems. Give them the next steps of obedience you're asking them to do. And give them a heart of worship for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Several folks raised their hands for the first time today. Absolutely thrilling. Several of them. So many of you raised your hands. I want to give you a next step here today. When you're dismissed... We're, there are there's a prayer room right here on your right. We would love to pray with you and just walk in there and say, hey, I raised my hand and uh, no one's going to tackle you. Um, we just want to pray with you for a moment. If, if that's awkward for you, on your way out in the lobby, there are some boxes. They're our survival kit boxes. I raise my hand boxes. Go to that center table and just take a box. No one's going to think you're stealing it. Take it. It's got a great Bible in it and a note from me. I want you to have that. Um,